This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Welcome to the Circuit of Success, and thank you for joining me. You know, it's been said that success comes to those who wait, but I believe the opposite. I believe that it's earned with the right attitude, a great belief system, and action every single day. When you mix that in with faith, courage, discipline, and most importantly, a vision, that's when greatness happens. Now let's dive right in to this week's guest. Welcome to the Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and today I'm honored to be able to have Tom Satterley in the office with me today. Tom, thanks awesome. for being here, my man. Thank you, my pleasure. It's, uh, it's going to be awesome. I've been fired up about today to have you in here and uh, hear your story and for our, our guests to get to hear your story and watch your story. But uh, we were just talking a little bit ago about really how you got started and, and kind of what's made you the man you are today and, and your path of getting into the military. And so why don't you walk our listeners through that? All right. So, yeah, the path of where I am today is sitting to our left, my wife, actually. Um, that's a whole nother story. Uh, how I got to where I am today prior to that was literally a whim. I'm in high school, um, just graduated on building houses. And a friend of mine had gone and joined the military. He'd gone through basic training and came back. And we were going to a John Cougar concert that night. And uh, he's telling me about it on the way up to Indianapolis, like an hour drive from Columbus to Indianapolis. And he's telling me all about it. And I just found a recruiter near the concert area, uh, Market Square Arena at the time, I think they tore it down, and, and signed up. Um, literally talked to them, told them what I wanted to do. It was kind of medical at the time. They talked me into being a combat engineer, because hmm. obviously they have quotas to fill, and I didn't know that at the time. I just <laughs> thought he was helping me out. And I signed up and told my parents about it the next day, and they about had heart attacks, because they had me lined up to go to college and uh, other things obviously like i did with my son i wanted him to go to college and he's he's actually in ait right now okay at fort Huachuca. but um and then kind of everything i did after that i, I actually came to uh, fort leonard wood went to basic training in fort leonard wood and then spent three years in germany and our platoon sergeant in germany was a hung, former hungarian sergeant so he was different than the other platoon sergeants that other guys had were Vietnam vets at the time, and they were a little bit burnt out, a little bit kind of laid back. Ours was more of a go-getter. So he took us to the Swiss March, which is 40 miles a day for like five days. Um, he took us to a French commando school. as was a, the first uh, platoon to go to a foreign school like that altogether. And so I was exposed to that, and then they had a slot for a German ranger school that came up, and they were going to give it to someone else, and I kind of argued the fact that we should have a competition. And I had a little taste of it, and I wanted some. So they did like a three-day competition, and I won that. And I got to go to German Ranger School by myself. Um, I started out with an interpreter that they sent along. He failed out, so it ended up being just me and the rest of these Germans. Nobody spoke English, so wow. that made that a bit miserable. But that gave me a bit of a taste of, of more than what I was doing. And so I continued on, and I, I signed up for Special Forces. I re-enlisted. I was going to do four years and get out and go to college. Yep. Um, so after my three and a half years were up, I re-enlisted, tried to go Special Forces, but I was an E5 without a certain school I needed. Um, I got promoted kind of fast based on the other schools I'd gone to and winning a Soldier of the Year competition in Germany. So I got promoted fast, but I missed a school, so I couldn't re-enlist to be a Green Beret and get the bonus. So I re-enlisted for jump school just to get to Fort Bragg, just so I could sign up to be a Green Beret. Wow. And kind of took that process and then I'm in language school now. A year and a half later, I'm in language school. And I was approached by two guys who had gone with me uh, to the Q course from the unit. And I didn't know it. 
and they approached me and they said, hey, we think you have what it takes. You should try out for Delta. And I was like, well, okay, I guess I'll do that. So <laughs> I put in a packet to go to selection for Delta. And uh, after language school, I went to Fort Campbell. Uh, I was in 5th Special Forces Group for a short time during the first Gulf War. Okay. They were all deployed. It was literally me and another guy in one of the battalions that had stayed back. And I was non-deployable based on I had a selection date for the unit. And so all I did was train the entire time. And um, selection came and went. I made it. And they came back from the first Gulf War. And they were like, hey, who are you? And new guy. And I'm like, don't worry about it. I I'm okay. leaving next week. So went back to Fort Bragg and stayed there tw uh, 20 years. Wow. Now, were you always... Uh I want to go the hard path. I mean, what was it like in your life to see I me? Mean, you don't just wake up and say, I want to be a Delta, right? I mean, no, that's uh, one of the hardest absolutely. trainings in the world. <laughs> absolutely not. I, I literally got tastes along the way, like the French commando, the German ranger school, um, the camaraderie of working at a higher level. And then when I went to SFAS, which is Special Forces Assessment and Selection, that was very difficult. That was more of a team events say here's a here's a jeep with three wheels on it push it you know eight miles through the sand as a team wow. here's a, a, a three-quarter ton trailer with only one wheel and full of logs or here's some 55 gallon drums full of water you know carry those or here's a thousand sandbags move them from here to there and then back again over and over and over again just to see who would quit and um luckily i just had that never quit mentality right. and um kind of stemmed from growing up uh, I kind of had the motto, the greatest failure is a failure to try. And so I would try anything. I mean, failing is what we all do. And that's, there's no shame in failing. Um, so I just kept going and I got lucky with who I met. I got, I got lucky with, um, the things they turned me on to and, and the places I went. And so it kind of just stair stepped up. I did, however, when I was in Germany in 87, 1987, they had a recruitment for Delta at the, at the, the movie theater in Germany on post, and you had to be E5 or above to go to it. And I was at E4 and I snuck in. And I remember the guy down, down on stage and he was in a suit, we're all army, you know, so when you're in the army wearing civilian clothes, it seems cool again, right. it's weird. And he's in a suit and he, and he clicks his little button and the, those little projector that spin, you know, it's yeah, the, kind yeah. of the old school stuff, yeah. turns and it's a picture of the, of the earth. And he's like, this is our training area. And that's it. That's all he said. Puts that in perspective. And I, and I was like, wow. I go to the motor pool every Monday. I change the oil in the APC. I drive it. I change track pads on this tank. It's horrible. And this guy goes all around the world and trains. Right. And I, 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 it hit me then that I wanted to do that. And then it kind of went away. It was like, well, I just forgot about it. And when those guys approached me in language school, I'm like, hey, we, we watched you over the last you know, six months. We think you have what it takes. Why don't you try out? And literally, it was like, all right, sure, I'll give that a shot, too. Um, and then once you put the paperwork in, that's when the stress starts, for right. me, anyway. That's, that's when I was so nervous. I was sick to my stomach. Every night before selection or anything, I just literally thought I was going to die. Because failing is not an option for me, even though I say the greatest failure is fair to try, and everybody fails. Right. I still don't like it. Right. And so it tears me up inside. So I'll do everything I can. I'll overtrain. I'll overanalyze make life more horrible for me now. Yep. So when I actually go do the event, it seems easy. Right. And I had a good time. I had a good time in selection. It's a lot of miles and miles on mountains. Oh. And Guys like me can't make that stuff. <laughs> you, you could. You <laughs> can. I, I was 150 at the time. Wow. I was literally skin and bones, 150, but I could run forever. Right. Uh, the bigger guys have a tough time yeah. um, making it a little bit, but the little, 
teeny guys also have a tough time. It's yeah. kind of an average. You know, I gained all the weight later when, when a friend of mine, we were working out, you know, we were running a selection in West Virginia. He's like, hey, you have a string on your shirt, and he reached over. He goes, oh, that's your arm. <laughs> I was like, oh, all right, time, right. To the, time to hit the gym. Hey, my buddies <laughs> in college called me Bones, you know, so. Time to, I, I time to buy the Joe Weeder weight gain and yeah, start, exactly, eating, it, start exactly. eating it all day long. Some weight gainer shakes or something. <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to dive into mindset and, and all that stuff, too, because that's obviously a lot of it, right? right. If not 90% of it. But walk us through. So you, you, you climb the ranks. You become a leader now. You're in the military. And you, know, you talk about those HVTs, those high-value targets, right? And so right. walk us through what you can. And, and there's a lot of things you can't talk about. But the things that you can talk about, Walk us through what it's like to then be on a mission for however long, three months, six months, two years, and then to find that high value target. What's that like? Wow. Uh, ups and downs, excitement and boredom. It's, uh, it's like cat and mouse game the whole time. It's literally going after one small individual based off of intelligence and then taking everything out of his house, everything off his computer, everything that you can take and then assessing it. Um, there's a, there's a process called F3EAD, find, fix, finish, exploit, analyze, and disseminate. So first you have to find the target, which is what you would gather on from, that earth, on the earth, somewhere on the earth, whether, well, whatever medium you use to find that target, um, you locate it. Then you have to fix his position. You have to locate where it's at, fix the position and know that he's going to be there long enough that you can do the mission. And then you have to go finish the target, which means assaulting it, taking it down and making it all secure so you can spend a little bit of time on there. You know, not too long because the bad guys like to surround you and wait for you to come out. So you finish the target and then you exploit the target. You take everything you can off of it. You talk to the person while he's on the target. You ask him every possible question that you can think of. And you, you have a, a path you want to go down, but then you also go down other paths, you know, based on his answers. Obviously, all this through an interpreter. And the interpreter is important and key to tell you if he's lying or not because... I, I can't really tell. You know, right. It's a completely, an utterly different language. And uh, even, even their mannerisms of a lot of the bad guys, they're, they're raised that lying is okay, so they don't act a certain way when they lie. It's just normal for them. Um, so you analyze it, and then um, you exploit it, and then you get all that information back to your intelligence people who analyze it, and they, and they connect targets to targets, and they connect timelines or phones or computers and who talks to who and and they'll connect it and they'll analyze it and then they'll disseminate that information out to everyone else and those people will decide if they have other information that goes with it and then you repeat that you find the next target and then hmm. you you fix it and finish it so you keep repeating that process a lot of it's boring you know the movies you always see the movies you right. see assaults going down because that's that's the seemingly exciting part um when nobody, you're not the one doing it. Right, right. <laughs> nobody likes to sit and watch a movie on shuffling right. paperwork and, and, and looking at pictures and maps and things. Yeah, that, that's, that's not you get a little bit of it, so you get the point, and then you go straight to the assault. Right. Oh, we got him. Let's go get right. him. Um, we'd deploy on a 90-day on a, on a cycle, and then you're home for maybe, you know, six months. Okay. Um, so we'd be over, overseas wherever we're at for, say, 90 days, where the regular army might go for a year to 18 months. Right. They pack up and move over, but... About 90 days is, is enough to keep you fresh and mo ener in, you know, energetic and motivated versus getting complacent. Once you do something so often, you get complacent. Right. Um, so you gotta, you gotta keep, that, keep that at a minimum. So it would be for 90 days, we'd pick up from the, the squadron there before us, we'd grab their intelligence, we'd do a quick handover for a week, 
and then they pack up and go home and we, we settle in and start doing our missions um, based off of their intel and we just keep building it. So when you're chasing leaders or terrorist leaders, you may, you may spend 90 days looking for him while you roll up certain people along the way and then hand it off to the next group and then they do the same thing and you're like, I hope they don't get him or hope they, maybe they do, I hope it's <laughs> right. us, you know, and then they hand it off to the next group and then you come back around, it's your turn again. It's like, they didn't get him, all right, so we're getting yeah. closer or not. Because um, you want to be the guy lucky enough love to, to be, be there and get your hands, hands on, on him, right? Hands on him. Yeah. Um, there's times that guys have been captured, um, leaders of, of, you know, Saddam's regime that were captured just rolled up on a checkpoint somewhere. And you hear about it and you're like, oh, awesome. That's Because every time you go out, there's also a chance somebody gets killed. Right. So you have to keep that in perspective. Um, it's worse with terrorists than it was with regime leaders. I mean, there's a little bit of rules when you run a country. Right. Even though you might be violent and, and horrible, it's not like a straight-up ISIS or Al-Qaeda terrorist. They just have no rules. They just do right. whatever it takes. So those are the more violent ones. Yeah. So it's like before you go to a target, what is the most likely course of action? What is the most dangerous course of action? What is the least likely course of action? You know, most likely, hopefully they'll pack up and run, and we'll just capture them. Least, you know, the dangerous is they'll stay in place and fight till the death. Right. And then you're like, all right, well, it's going to be a fight on our hands all right. night long. Right. And we've changed our tactics. Um, we lost a lot of guys. Um, we learned a lot in Somalia. I mean, going way back to 93, we yeah. learned a lot then. It changed the way everybody did business. And then we relearned it again in the early years of Iraq and Afghanistan, where our unit is mostly hostage rescue or high value. So we want that high value target. We want him alive, we want his information. Or for hostages, shoot me, not the hostage. So I'm right. gonna place myself in danger to, to take your, your eyes off of the hostage and put it on me. Um, because that's mission failure. One dead hostage is failed mission, no right. matter what. So run in as fast as you can, every door, every window, distract them, kill them, rescue the hostages. So when you're doing that on a bad guy target, where I really don't care if you're alive or dead, be great if you're alive. Great if not. If no shots are fired, that's right. awesome. In a perfect world, right. doesn't work. It does not work. So why rush in and get killed? We were losing guys rushing in. You know, blow the doors, go in. Right. And boom, they shoot back. We lose people. So why not surround the house? Get on a bullhorn. Tell them to come out. You're surrounded. Come on out and just take your time. And we would right. call it. We would call it. Wait make, it out. Make the enemy vote. If he sticks his gun out, they went and start shooting. You just call in a, an A10 or something or a <laughs> helicopter. You know. Let them let them take it down for you, or drop a bomb on it, and then go in and clean up. But would 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 escalate in increments. Right. Surround the house, secure it. Nobody can get out. We've got ISR up ahead watching everything. We got cameras. We got dogs. And then we throw a flashbang, knock on the door, if you, you know, so to speak. Wake them up with a bullhorn. Send all the women and children out. Okay, now all the males out, and the whole process of thermals, and do they have suicide bombs on them, body bombs on you? You can see through their clothes with the thermal, and don't let them get too close to you. And how do you search the women without, you know, upsetting everybody? And um, and now is the house really empty? You know? Right. And you can send a dog in. You know, you can send a dog in with a camera. You can, you know, do whatever. But but you still have to take the house down like it still has people in it, because they'll set the house up for you. Especially if they take it's a long booby traps, I would assume. Booby traps yeah. if they take a long time to come out, or they set booby traps on their way out. You know, so you send the dog in first, and then you go in and take the house down, and then you exploit it. So there's so, always levels of how you're gonna, you know, right. attack it. So talk about that. You talked about the uh, Mogadishu deal, 18-hour battle, Black Hawk Down. Most people know the movie. Right. Um, 
we're going in. It wasn't supposed to be a big mission, right? No, hour. So it's supposed at to be an most, hour. At the most. Turns into an 18-hour gunfight right. battle. Right. Uh, walk us through that day. What was that like? Hmm. I had gone out. Um, guys were playing volleyball. It was a Sunday. Guys were playing volleyball. It was a nice hot day. I had gone out with some, uh, a couple of teammates who did like a five-mile run around the <laughs> airfield. And as soon as we got back, um, you could see guys spinning up a little bit. Like, hey, we got a mission dropping. Um, all, is, all, of, uh, uh, all of Adid's leaders are having a meeting, and we got the signal from the guy in town. We had a guy in town that would, you know, put something on top of his car, you know, flip a panel over, and let the helicopter know, okay, Something's going it's down. a positive signal, and it's this building, so we got a launch. And that's kind of how we did our missions. We had a template. The leaders would go in, and I was not a leader. I was basically five on a six-man team at the time. Our leaders would, team leaders would go in, get the mission, come out. We're already sitting on the helicopter with it cranked up, ready to go, and you can't hear anything. And they just have a piece of paper with stuff drawn on it. We're landing here. You're going to run to the front right, and this is the building. Okay. So the helicopters would come in, circle the place. The little birds would come into the intersections first and land. We would come in further out and, and fast rope down um, 90 foot because of the buildings and the intersections. And then the dust, the brownout, just, just you couldn't see anything. And so... 3 October was no different. Um, sitting on the bird, they run out. Somebody's, his mouth, lips are moving, but you know, and he's pointing to something and you're just nodding your head, whatever. Um, right. When I get out, I'm gonna go, you know, go to the building where everybody's heading. And they inserted my team into the wrong, a little bit further out. They couldn't get close because of the brownout, so it was a little bit further out. And the second the helicopters hovered, we started taking fire. Hmm. So I knew it was different. There was RPGs and, and bullets flying already. And then um, one, one guy, uh, a ranger, fell 90 feet, missed the rope and fell 90 feet. Um, and so they had to, we had to get him on, a, on the convoy and get him back immediately. He was not going to make it. And uh, our team roped down, and we ended up getting off the street. We were taking fire into another house. Kind of took that family down and put them in the corner, made a plan. How are we going to get back to the target building? Right. All right. So we get a plan. We get back out on the street under fire, running down the street towards the target building. And here comes two... Pajeros, they're like SUV vehicles, you know, overseas, I use them a lot. And there's like four nice dressed men in each one of them, suits. You know, we run up on this vehicle with guns and kind of stopped it. Me and, my, me and one of my buddies, and my, I remember my team leader saying, let them go, it's not what we're here for. And I remember thinking, well, what if that's a deed? I mean, I don't know. I mean, right. why are they calmly driving away from the target? It's like, team leader said, let them go, let them go. We let them go, we, we go running in. And we finished taking the target down. And uh, I think that's when a five-ton got hit with an RPG and was, was on fire in the street. And we had uh, maybe 10 to 12 people in a room in handcuffs. And I'm searching the target building, searching, you know, I got the combination to the safe from one of the guys, took the money out of the safe, bagged that up to take it back. It was a whole garbage bag full of money, but it was probably worth $5. I don't know. Wow. You know, it was probably five, five U.S. dollars worth. Right. Um, found guns and things like that, just, just searching the place, just waiting for them to say, time to exfil and go home. And we'd actually um, started to exfil, pulled around the corner to, to stack up in a courtyard, and, uh, and that's when we heard an RPG go off, and I looked up and saw the tail boom of one of the helos get hit with it, struck or near it with RPG, and it started rotating out of control, kind of spin over top of our heads, and I was like, oh no, you know, everybody knew then. Right. Not good. Um, that's when I started slashing tires on the car at the Target building, and I lifted up a manhole cover and threw the bag of money in there. I'm like, I'm not running around with this money. It's, right. it's going to throw in this hole. 
and just waiting for the order to go. And then you're hearing that other helicopters are getting shot. The convoys are getting hit pretty hard. How many helicopters are above you at this time? So six Little Birds, um, six Blackhawks, and then... Uh, and then how many of you on your team are on the ground with you? Um, probably about 90 okay. to 100 of us. I think nine. I think that and my numbers are probably off. 18 total U.S. were killed. Got it. I want to say there were 95 wounded. Okay out of our little over 100 man, you know, task force. So 95% of lucky. people. Luckily, luckily yeah. I was one of the uninjured ones that day. So um, didn't get shot or anything? No, no, not at Somebody all. Somebody was watching. Somebody was watching over me. Um, or I was lucky. Yeah. I'll take that any day. Exactly. So yeah, after that, um, I remember waiting, waiting for the word, and then I, I saw just this ranger's neck in front of me just explode. You know, he just leaned up against the gate, just got shot through the gate. And his, his neck kind of explodes, not, not like in a death kind of way, but just yeah. a weird way. Uh, bandage him up, put him on the convoy, and then we got the word we had to push to the crash site. So we go out in the street, we're moving down both sides of the street, just getting shot at at every intersection, every street, from every direction. Um, and as we're moving down the street, you could see two blocks up, they're moving down the street towards the crash site. So we're in a race to get there first because we got to get there before they get there because they might be wounded or you know injured that we have to or dead or wounded that we have to get from them taking and so once we turn north which is the direction of the of the group of people that were paralleling us to get to the helo it just that's when everything got really bad taking heavy fire mainly on the opposite side of the street i was on i was on a shaded side they were on the sunny side and i i, I give the credit to that i guess that they could be seen more and a friend of mine got shot right in the head, right across the street. Um, I, I looked down the street. I was dealing with something else that was happening. I remember seeing Earl, you know, along along the building. Looked down the street, was doing what I was doing, and then when I looked back, I saw two of my friends dragging Earl inside, yeah. and he was lifeless. Um, found out later he got shot right through the head. We had plastic helmets on in the oh, back in the that's day. That's good, right? Yeah. You know, we want to move light and fast. Was right. what we thought. We were invincible, so light and right. fast. Um, after that, they shipped us helmets, and yeah. everybody started stuffing Kevlar. Instead of instead of going smaller, we're going bigger. Right. Um, but there's a there, you know there's a limit to how much you can wear and still do your job versus how little you wear and still get any protection from it. So we finally pushed our way down, made it to the street, took the houses down around the crash site, had to keep those families, you know, handcuffed or in the corner. Um, I probably in our house we probably had three adult females and maybe four children, female, um, and then one big male. I mean, we cuffed him and left him, you know, laying and sitting in the corner with his family, and we had to watch them. That was your rest position for the night, was guarding the family. Wow. Everybody else had a position in a window or a door the rest of the night. But that's when it started, just all night long, the entire yeah. town shooting, trying to come, you know, poking and prodding at your positions. and. You know, heard later they wanted to shoot mortars at us, but somebody stopped them from doing it because of the civilians, if you can believe that. Hmm. Um, that was our first introduction to Al-Qaeda, and I think we didn't know it at the time. Right. But like two blocks from where we hit, there was an Al-Qaeda training camp. And it was uh, Bin Laden heavy, you know, heavy influence there, and they were training the Somalians, um, the Habergadir clan probably. And um, so they decided to pack up and move over. It's probably like a training exercise. Right. Let's go, let's go right. get the Americas. Here's, here's, a good, here's a good exercise. So all through the Bakar market, all the weapons, all the bad people, that's right where we hit. And that's where they just surrounded us. Yeah. Couldn't get out. All the helos were damaged and shot up. The convoy couldn't get to us. 
So it ended up being, like I said, 18 hours. One hour turned into 18 and we brought no water, no night vision, which was the last time that ever happened. Right. Um, we're drinking water out of flower pots and little pipes dripping out of the walls and thinking, well, it's better to get sick later than to die now or, or yeah. be this dehydrated. Um, I'm throwing iodine tablets and everything, shaking it up, handing out water to people when I can. Uh, our building's getting hit with RPGs throughout the night, knocking holes in our walls, kind of crumbling the building down around us. Yeah. So we're st I'm stacking up mattresses against the walls, pushing furniture around, trying to keep things away. And uh, yeah, they were they were bold. They how how does that family? I mean, how, they just sit there and watch it all night long, and then you also got to trust huh. you watch your back because you don't uh, know what's going on. But some of them fell asleep. Um, others just sat there. Remember, I was on guard at one point and. One lady finally let on she spoke English, and she'd tell me one of the little girls had to go to the bathroom. I'm like, okay, where's, where's the bathroom? I haven't even thought yeah. about that all night. You know? <laughs> it's behind me. So, all right, well, I'll let her go to the bathroom, I guess. And it's, I let her go to the bathroom, and I'm just kind of standing there guarding the rest of the place, thinking, I hope there's nothing in the bathroom. Right. You know, I hope she doesn't come out and do anything crazy. Um, but they, they strangely a enough, good family. yeah, they stayed calm. Um, they knew we were not going to hurt them. We were there. We they knew we wanted to go. Right. They knew we couldn't go. Um, I don't know if they liked us or hated us or if they were part of the clan that didn't like Americans or not. Right. Didn't really talk to them. It was just by chance that we took their house down. And they probably knew it was coming because the helicopter crashed right across the street from them. So. so let's talk about the mental side of that. Obviously, the circuit of success is a lot of this is about mental side. And, and so whether you're thinking about being at a, you know, a conference table or in the in the in a theater like you were in, um, what's the mental prep for that? Yeah, a lot of people talk about mental toughness, mental preparation. Um, training is so key to everything. Yeah. Um, it just it builds your confidence. It builds trust in yourself that you're going to do your job. And when you work with your teammates long enough or anybody long enough and you know that they're going to do their job, you don't worry about them doing their job. You let them do their job, you do your job and vice versa. They don't worry about you. So everybody's doing their job and it all gets done. Right. That breakdown is when you have those weak links that everybody knows about. Like everybody has somebody in their group or their company that you know, doesn't really work that hard. Right. Nobody likes to fire people, it's difficult. And if your boss isn't the kind of person that likes to fire people, then you work with those people. Yep. Right? And so everybody caters to the weak link. Um, lucky enough to be in a unit where the weakest link is probably the, one of the best guys out there in the Army, even mm -hmm. though he's your weak link. Right. Still better than 90% of the army. Um, that you have that confidence. But the more you train, the harder you train, the more realistic you train or prepare for business, um, the more confident you are. And therefore, the more toughness you have, the more mental right. toughness. There's no magic pill or dust or DNA that makes you tough. Right. I mean, and that's, that's arrogance to, for, for the people I've met, they're like, oh, nothing scares me. I'm ready to go. I'm just, I'll tough it out or, or, Hate and anger will get me through. Um, hate and anger gets you through nothing. Right? Right. You're just angry and hateful. Um, Actually, it probably hurts you more. It does hurt you more. It'll, it'll ruin your life. Um, I've seen it. Yeah. My wife and I have seen it a lot as we help veterans. Um, they just think that hate and anger or just, just putting your head down and, and plowing through things, it works for so long. Yeah. But without training and without preparation, it's just complete arrogance to think that you can mentally work through something like yeah. that. Everybody's scared. Those people that say that I'm not afraid, I worry for those people yep. because I know they are and they're lying about it. Um, they're probably the worst off. I know I was scared every time I went out the gate. Every mission I went on, I was scared. 
Was I scared of dying? Not, not necessarily. I was scared of doing my job poorly. Right. I was afraid of letting my, my people down. Um, yeah, I think that's the training, right, that they, you guys are all amazing at, is, is that you think about that stuff more than you do probably think about dying, right? Right. Letting your brothers down behind you. And I know I've talked to guys, and even how you come in and kick a door down, if you come in and you're responsible for that corner, well, you can't be looking over there and over there because right. that's how people start dying. Right, and that's exactly how we train. That's exactly for CQB. Right. You have a responsibility. At the threshold, it's whatever you can see in front of you. As soon as you break that threshold, what's your number one job? Is it the right corner or the left corner? If it's the right corner, that's all you do. Right. That's all you do. Because the guy behind you, his job is your back. Right. And when you, when you know that and you trust that, you have so much confidence that, yeah, now you have mental toughness because yeah. you know that everything's getting done properly. And when you see guys come in and, and not look at the corner, you know, that's when I set them up. I'll, I'll start setting people up in training. I'll, I'll draw them in. I'll make them not look at their corner. And I know how to do that pretty easily. Right. And they'll come in and they'll tell me, no, no, I looked at my corner. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm in the middle of the room, squatted down, watching your eyes as you come in, because I know what you're going to do. I've done it enough that I know how to set you up. And they'll come in and you'll see them look straight at the target I set up just outside of that corner first and shoot that one first. And then turn and finish and shoot the corner target too second. Late. Like too late, you know. That's your job. This guy here would have been handled by the number three guy. Mm-hmm. You know, before you even shoot him, number three's shooting this guy already. So yep. there's a process. You have to trust it. And you have to, well, never stop training, right. ever. Well, that's what I mean, one of my questions is let's talk about the importance of training through the lens of teaching skill, right? Because in, in the business world, right? So if I go out and I know I've got this meeting or uh, we're trying to bring somebody into the firm. I mean, there's certain things that I know, and I've done it a lot, right? right. And so if you're new to it, if you've not practiced that skill, uh, it may not go well, right? And so talk to us about the process of teaching skill and how important that is. Yeah, everybody has to be, like you said, taught to do their job. I mean, children have to be taught how to make a sandwich or taught to do dishes. I mean, if you don't teach them, then they'll never learn. I mean, other right. than observation, you have to tell them, here's the process, and or here's my process. One thing that's good about where I work is we have three different locations and multiple instructors. We all teach the same basics. There's different techniques, right. which is fine, and your technique may be different than mine because it works for you better because of your composition, your body, your shoulder may not go a certain way. Yep. Whatever it is, the basics will be the same, but the technique will be different. It's like driving a car. Um, I, I, I look at training for everyone, like, like driving a car. You, you, when you're in high school and they teach you how to drive a car, you sit in a classroom, you learn all the rules of the road, all the street signs and what it means and which one's the gas pedal, which one's the brake and steering, all that, that minutia that, that matters, but you still don't know how to drive a car. Right. So now I can take you out a step further and you go do driving with an instructor on the streets, nice and slow, parallel park. You didn't stop the stop sign long enough. You know, what's your speed limit? And you're stressed out. A little bit of stress. I remember being stressed out. Just, am I going exactly the speed limit? I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit faster, hitting the brakes, gas, and hitting the brakes. You know, but then they give you your license. Okay, so yeah, you can drive. That's that's. Let's call that a regular employee, or your new employee, or a regular soldier. Yep. Now let's take it a bit further. Let's let's add three years of experience on top of that. Okay, three years of slow experience. That's good. Now you're three years better at driving. Maybe you've encountered a near accident. 
maybe you've been in an accident, you've learned from it. You know, as an employee, you've been in a lot of business meetings or negotiations and you've had stressful ones and easy ones, maybe. Or do we kick it up another notch and we take you to driving schools? We take you to rally school. We, we let you drive off-road out of control so you learn the dynamics. We take you to a NASCAR school where all you do is turn left and go fast and get you comfortable going that fast. We take you to an offensive driving school where you're being run off the road or you're running people off the road or you're ramming barricades. You're learning vehicle dynamics and how, how long it takes your car to stop on ice or snow or gravel or dirt. And you do it over and over and over again. That's the level you want to be at. The same with business. You know, you, you run role play scenarios for your employees getting ready to go into business meetings and, or presenting an idea that they want to sell. Okay, well, I'm going to shoot holes through your idea. We're role playing, but I'm going to make it miserable for you. Right. That way, when you get to the real people, you've already heard it all. You've already done it all, hopefully, and you've seen it all, and you've been put through the stress, and you're prepared for it and ready, so you're confident, and that confidence shows, and people are drawn to confidence. Yep. So I look at it like you can get the basics and call it okay. You can get the basics and wait for years to get a little bit better, or you can get the basics and stack all the advanced training on top of it as you possibly can, which is what we did in the unit and what we, what we teach everybody else at Asymmetrics is you can come here once a month and shoot. You're going to get good slowly, yeah. you know, but you have to practice this at home. You have to practice this with me here. You have to practice this, you know, in your backyard, things like that. I can't spend six months with you. Well, I could. It'd be expensive for you. <laughs> right. Drawing over and over and over and over and over again. Seven right. to 10,000 repetitions become muscle memory. Okay. So what does that mean? That means once I develop muscle memory, my brain is no longer thinking through the process of my stance, my grip, my draw, my front sight, my rear sight, my trigger squeeze. Is my grip still lined up? Are my elbows bent a little bit? How's my head? Is my vision clear? Is my target fuzzy? My front sight's crystal clear. Am I off safe? And oh, by the way, does he have a weapon or not? And what is his intention? If I've done that so much that it's muscle memory, now the only thing my brain is thinking is, is this guy a threat or not? Because this is just happening. Right. That's just happening. That's, that's the easy mechanics of it. Now I've freed my brain up to stop thinking about all the mechanics of it. And I can think, is he really a threat? What are his intentions? And do I really need to kill him? Right. And oh, by the way, what's going on over here? Let me open up my periphery because when I get nervous and I'm trying to think, I, I'm looking through a toilet paper tube yep. and that's all I see. But if I practice it so much, I can relax and let all this in. And now I see that there's three other people in the room with me versus, right. you know, just this guy. Hmm. So that, we take that approach. Yeah. Um, we Which teach is huge. You, because we, we teach you what you do and then we beat it into you. Right under stressful conditions. Mal Malcolm Gladwell's, uh, I think, it, I can't remember the name of the book it's in, but he talks about 10,000 hours, right, of practicing something, same kind of thing in your deal. 10,000 right. draws, you're going to be a lot better. I've been through one of those classes, by the way. You do get a lot better uh, of a feeling. So asymmetric solutions, we'll talk about that later. But let's also talk about the stress. There's also training, getting good, but then you talked a little bit about this, but then the stressful side of training. So in the business setting, right, we have a meeting. It's, it's one thing to role play it, but now... I got to walk into the meeting and there's Mr. or Mrs. Big and now I got to execute. So how do you practice in stress? Wow. Uh, so what is stress? Stress is rapid heartbeat, a little sweating, you know, heavy breathing, rapid breathing. Um, and then, and then a little confusion comes in. 
you start to get confused. You start to worry. Am I going to say the right things? What if I forget? What if, then the doubt comes. Right. For, for combat and stress shooting, which is what we call it, would literally, okay, go run five miles. Stop at the shooting line. Draw your weapon and shoot. All right, and you're breathing heavy. Your heart's racing. Okay, how do I beat that down? How do I beat that down? And it's just practice, 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 okay? Right as you get up to this fire, like, stop, breathe. Mentally prepare yourself and then shoot and then do everything the same. Um, we had a quarter mile track on our range and guys would grab center blocks, run the quarter mile, drop the center blocks, draw and shoot one round, holster, run a quarter mile, center blocks drop. Number one, you're working your grip, you're stressing your muscles, your heart rate's really elevated, you're sweating. And now kick it up a notch and put you against your buddy who you want to beat and put you on a timer. That's, that's self-induced right. stress, which is the worst. Right. All right. So now I'm, I'm fighting myself, the timer, my fatigue. Um, you've got sleep deprivation, which simulates stress as well. So you can always put someone in that state and then have them go do their mission yep. in, in practice. Right. So that's, that's about as close you can get to real combat. And you're shooting live rounds near them, at them, by them, with the noises and the smells. And if you can make it 99% realistic versus the real bad guys are actually shooting back at you, that's perfect. Same way in business meetings. Um, you practice it over and over and over again. You know, Joe comes in with an idea and you like the idea. Okay, Joe, sell it to Mr. and Mrs. Big. Okay, but first, before you go in there, I want to I wanna hear your idea. I want to hear your presentation. And I may jump up and start screaming at you, you know. I may ask you, well, well this idea stinks. And then have everybody else tell me why it stinks. And then have you defend your idea. How well can you defend your idea? How confident do you look? And video it. And then right. show them the video. You know, they say if you're going to do speaking engagements, speak into the mirror, look at yourself in the mirror. And I agree with that. Or video yourself and then watch your video. And right. you'll see if you look, you can see if you look timid or not. Right. Did I look confident? Because confidence is, is beauty. Confidence is attractive to people. Um, girls like the bad boy, right? Why? Because he's cocky or confident. Well, right. what's, what's the difference between cocky and confidence? Verbalization. <laughs> I'm good. It's a very uh, fine line. I'm a really, really cool guy. Right. Versus... Oh, that guy looks like a cool guy. Right. They say it for you. You don't have to say it. It's just confidence because you're confident in what you're doing. Right. And then everybody sees that. And you can easily sell an idea to somebody. You know, salesmen are good at it. Right. That's what they do. Right. They read you. They're, they're happy. They're, you know, they're, right. they make you want to buy something you don't even right. need. Right. You know? Like, what just happened? You know, I'm, I'm, I own Timeshare I've never been at because of that. I wanted a free <laughs> exactly. jet ski ride one time. And I still I paid that thing off. I've never been there. But high-pressure sales are... are uh, most people are good for a reason, right. and they practice, practice, practice. But I mean, that's their survival. You know, yep. if they don't sell anything, they don't make money. So it's real important to them. Um, but working through Mr. and Mrs. Big in, in business is just is rehearsals, practice, and confidence, and and then learning how to calm yourself down by mental preparation. You know, yeah. minutes out, just close my eyes and I, I envision Mr. and Mrs. Big. A lot of people just say vision them in their underwear or whatever to make you comfortable. Right. I just envision them <clears throat> saying yes, being happy. Right. Because if I, if I think it, when I see a smirk on a face, I'll think that's a happy smirk. If when I'm in a bad mood, my wife gives me a half grin and I'm in a bad mood, I immediately think that was a negative half grin. <laughs> right, right? Exactly. Right. If I'm in a great mood and she's in a great mood, I get a half grin. I'm like, oh, that was a good half grin. Right. You know? So... It's that mentality yep. of what, to ex what you expect from Mr. and Mrs. Big that you're, you're actually you know, projecting onto them. Right. Well, I think that's the importance of visual visualization, right? I mean, Absolutely. if I can sit down and think about 
Mr. and Mrs. Big in that example saying yes or becoming a client or joining the firm, whatever it may be, I think that visualization is huge. Right. I mean, second to none. Absolutely. Every professional athlete, every professional speaker, any, any professional that I've known of and talked to does visualization. Right. I did it before this podcast. <laughs> I was, I was I sat right here and the I, same thing. <laughs> I said a few prayers. And the guy said, please don't let me say something stupid. He punches me in the throat today. <laughs> I was doing the <laughs> same thing. I was like, oh, don't forget. I forgot right. my notes. She's like, you can't use notes. I'm like, I know, but I right. need my notes for right. my TBI and PTSD. And, right. you know, everybody, I can't talk I, about this. I can't talk about yeah, that. Everybody does it. And in one of my, in my speaking engagements, I, I tell kids, adults, everybody, we all have issues. Right. We all think they're secret. Right. They're probably all the same. Absolutely. They're probably almost all the same, and we're just afraid to share it. And once you start sharing it, and that's why like the military groups, the special ops groups are really tight, because guys start sharing their stories, and they realize they're all the same. Right. And then that's also the difficult part about getting out. When you get out, you still talk like that to people who are new. Now, when I moved to St. Louis, um, we'd be at a party, and I would finally open my mouth and say something, and everybody in the room would be like, look at me, like, oh. I'm like, ooh, what'd I say? What? Is that off? Was that, right, was that, right. It's a bit rough. You right. know, it, I'm hanging around a different group of people now yeah. than I used to. So You all don't know what I've done. <laughs> exactly. I've got friends Scares her to death, muck. right? It's like, just <laughs> don't go do something stupid at the party. Right? right. Just don't say anything real violent or mean that right. sounds normal to me. You right. Know, it's, exactly. It's, but yeah, you, you get close by sharing those stories of fear and, and embarrassment that you've been through that yeah. others agree and admit to being through. Right. I mean, we all think we live in a private little bubble, but we really all have the same problems yeah. that we keep from each other. Yeah. And open communication and, and airing it out, most of the time, gets you past that, and everybody yeah. realizes, yeah, I felt the same way yeah. too, you know? So did you get you probably have a much cooler word than I, I have it to, to describe it, but meditation, right? You talk about breathing and all that stuff. Do you guys... Uh, you believe in that type of stuff? I mean, what, what's your philosophy on that? I, like I, I said, do. you probably have a cooler word than meditation. Uh, I wish I did. I don't. <laughs> um, my wife might. I, uh, right. I did not believe in it before because I'd never thought of it. But in OTC operator training course, after selection, you go to six months of OTC. And they actually brought in a, a psychologist. And they actually had us in a room. And he would basically put us all under. Um, hypnotize us, if you will. I don't know what it was. Right. You know, Some I called stuff. it hypnotization right. in the day. He's just talking you through. Maybe I fell asleep. I don't know. But um, everybody in the room, the same thing. He's talking through, think of this, envision yourself doing that. And that's where you kind of start learning about visualization and meditation and how to be in tune with what's really going on with your body versus just being present. Right. You know? And my wife's really the guru on this one. And she has taught me so much. Um, with like anger issues that I have and I still deal with and PTSD and helping other veterans is, is owning up to it. But first you have to know what it is, right? You know, what is really wrong with me? What, what is it? And so just to sit for 30 minutes and, and, and think and, and reflect and be honest internally about what's going on really helps you identify who you are. We, we did transcendental meditation for quite a while um, when we first met here in town. And it really paid off. Right. Probably still need to go. I probably, we, we definitely need to go back <laughs> and do some more of that. Um, I use the app Headspace with my, uh, even I do it with my kids. I don't know if you ever use that app or not, but it's, no, a, it's a phenomenal uh, app that you just, you can do 10, 20, 30 minute meditations. This guy walks you right through it. And that's what I use. And 
it, uh, you know, you sound quirky. You got to be careful when you, you know, when you talk about meditation if you're at a party or something. But you know, it's funny, funny about that, right? It's right. like almost embarrassed to bring yeah. it up, but it works. It does work. And so when you get to the point, honestly, and, and I, I've been the same way and my wife's the same way. Um, she wants to talk to people about light and energy and how we're all just bodies, you know, and when you die, okay, your energy goes into another body or another, another space or another place, but it's still there. You don't right. really die. Just this shell dies. Um, I believe it now and, and things I've seen, but how do you sell that to somebody yeah. who, who you think is rough and tough and, right. you know, he's not going to believe it. You can't shove it down their throat. So you have to tease them with it a little bit, get them to understand or call it something else. But it's funny that we're all, we're, we're afraid to say meditation or, right. or, 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 I don't know, yoga guys are like a yoga. That's for <laughs> sissies. I'm like, have you tried yoga? <laughs> right, exactly. It'll kick your butt. Right. Exactly. It'll kick your butt. And by the way, I need it. It's right. stretching and, and it's, it's concentration yeah. and thinking. And now if you sold that to a guy who wanted to be in the unit as an operator and it was part of our training course, he would suck it up and absorb it. Like it was, there was no tomorrow. Absolutely. But when you say, okay, you, you're unhealthy now, you're mentally destroyed, yeah. you know, from, 10 years, 20 years of combat, you need yoga and this and that to fix yourself. They're going right. to argue it to the death. Right. I'm fine. I've been trained to be this way you know, for a reason. Right. And that reason is no longer here. Right. Now let's teach you how to be a normal human being again and have fun. Yeah. You know, it's okay to, to go leave that behind and change and become somebody else again uh, because I don't want to become the high school Tom. Right. I don't want to be who I am now, which I, I still am, that guy that I was trained to be. Um, I'm tapering off a bit, thanks to Jen but, and, and other people who've helped me, but I'm not there yet. Yeah. I'm not happy when I, I, I'm not oblivious. And I never want to be oblivious when I walk into a room. I'll still walk into a room and, and find the exits, look at everybody in the face and see who's okay. Everybody right. seems like they're just eating. Nobody's sitting there sweating, looking weird. Okay, I'm good <laughs> to go. Sit with my back to the door so I can watch who comes in. Um, she's forced me a couple of times not to do that. Just to get Didn't me over. enjoy the dinner at all. It was yeah, terrible. It, it, it's <laughs> tough. I hear noises and I look. Um, I want to get past that yeah. because it's no longer who I am. I don't want to get so past it that I get mugged or robbed because those sure. are the people who get mugged, the ones that look just oblivious. I bring it up because the point is, I mean, we've had so many successful business leaders to authors, professional athletes, military folks, and you know, here's literally a true American hero um, that talks about that stuff because it is, it's important. This, this slowing dial, so you got to slow down to speed up, right? And so. Right to spend time with yourself and, and whether it's a journal or whether it's meditation and whatever it may be. And that's what I'm trying to teach my kids even to this day, right? Is to do that because man, if I knew that when I was you know 10 years old, right. how important that is, think about what life would be like, right? So I think it's huge for our listeners that you hear me talk about it every single week on the show is I hope we continually uh, impress upon you that how important it is and that's the goal. That's, that's the tough part. You, see, you have kids that yeah. get your kids to listen to you. You probably right. need their coach to tell them to yeah. do that or some teacher to tell right. them to do that. I'd try to teach my son things, and he would come, uh, whatever, and then he'd come home, hey, Dad, coach taught me this. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, exactly. Good for coach. Yeah. <laughs> Thank coach is a coach genius. taught you that. Right. <laughs> what a genius he is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I told you 7,000 times. <laughs> so let's, let's turn the page to the actual circuit of success and um, what I call my circuits of success, and that first one's attitude. When you hear that word, what comes to mind? attitude your display how do you display yourself because I don't want to say that I have an attitude um, that I'm good or the best because literally I've I've had a fault of my entire life 
I say it's a fault, I don't feel good enough. I've never felt good enough. Yeah. And that's brought me, it brought me to where I was. It, it took me to where I was, but it also maybe kept me back at times. But funny talking to other high leaders in the unit. I made it pretty high in the unit. I didn't make it to the top. I made it, you know, step down, which I didn't really want the top. This administrative political nightmare. Yeah. Um, but everyone else I talked to, this talked to about it. The same thing. Every day I came in a sweat, and I, my key at the gate right. was wondering, is it like going to turn green? Is today the day I'm fired? Right. You know, and uh, I'm like, you too. <laughs> Like, wow, every day, because you're surrounded by, you know, this, I can't imagine professional athletes. They're right. really good at what they do. So is everybody else on the team. Now, they're different positions, okay? So let's say you got first string pitcher, second string, third, you know. How's that second string pitcher feel? How's that right. third string? You know, it's like, man, am I ever going to get up there? Yep. Am I going to get fired? You know, even the first string pitcher, man, if I throw two, if my arms out or I'm off, I'm going to get passed up and be back down. So that stress is always there. So that attitude is not, to me anyway, is not how I really feel because we all hide how we really feel. My attitude is, is how I display. Yep. Do you have confidence in me based on how I'm acting, based on how, how my attitude is? Because I guarantee you I'm, I'm lying about how I really feel because I'm terrified I'm going <laughs> right. to do it right or wrong. Exactly. So it's, it's how am I projecting myself to you? Do I project uh, confidence and intelligence and knowledge in my job? Or do I act like I know what I'm doing and it's obvious that I'm acting like I know yeah. what I'm doing? Um, it's that confidence. I talked to uh, Jim Edmonds one time we were golfing and I asked him, what was the hardest thing about getting to Major League Baseball? And he said, stand in Major League Baseball. <laughs> right. Right. And so it's just, it's, yeah, I mean, it, somebody's always wanting your job. Always. Right? That's what so. I told those Braves players. I'm, you know, riding on that bus, I'm like, there's somebody nipping at your heels, right? You're nipping at somebody else's heels. Right? And they were all like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I go, that's stressful. And they were all scared of that, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or am I going to make the team? I'm in the minors. I'm going to move up. Yeah, but who else wants your position? They're all like, yeah, that's one thing they could all agree on. Yeah. There's a lot of stress to stay where you're at while you're trying to get better right. and move up versus falling behind some younger new guy who's coming around you, you right. know? Um, yeah, so let's talk about them beliefs. I mean, what are, what, are, what are the beliefs that you have for success that, to your core, I couldn't convince you that there's no other way that if you believe this, you, you will be successful? If you believe that the greatest failure is the failure to try, if you get past that, hmm. you'll do anything. People that are afraid to fail, won't try it because they don't want to fail. And so they'll That's always huge. stay where they're at. They'll never get better because they're happy where they're at. They want better, but they're not going to do it because they'll fail and they'll be embarrassed. I've never gotten better at anything by not failing. Uh, guys will come to the range and they'll shoot and I'll, I'll get a group of 10 on the, on the line and one of them is just knocking the X out. And I'm telling them to speed up and they won't speed up. Speed up and they won't speed up. I'm like, you're not, you're okay, you're fine now. You're not getting any better. Do you want to get right. better? Because everyone else around you is getting better. You started out knocking the X out. So until you get out of your comfort zone and fail, you're not going to get better. Right. So progressively through the day, and finally I'm screaming at him, no, 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 and they start missing. Like, there we go. Now you pushed it. Right. Now you found your weak point and you're broke. Now we back it back down yep. and we, we get better. By the end of the day, he was shooting so much faster without even trying. He was so happy. I'm like, look, you, 
Yeah, you create your own new comfort zone. You're right? afraid to miss. Yeah. He's afraid to not hit the bullseye. But, okay, anybody can do that. Yeah. Anybody can sit and slowly draw. Well, not anybody, but, you know, with practice, yep. you can sit and slowly draw an aim and bang, bang. Okay, I can do that. I can do that. But am I getting any better? So if you continue, if you know that failure is part of life and it's okay, once you accept that being, failing is okay, yep. then you're not afraid to fail. And when you fail, you learn from it, you reassess, you reevaluate, you work on the weak points and you get better at it. And then you keep doing it and then you do it again and again and then you make it harder until you fail and then you fix that and then you yeah. do it again and keep stacking. So never be afraid to try anything because failing is, is part of life. And yeah. if you're not failing, you're not trying anything. Yeah, I would agree. So action, we talked a lot about the actions uh, from the skills to the training to the visualization, all that stuff. But I'm anxious to hear your, your answer to this question. We talk about it with all of our guests, but fear. Right, so a lot of us have the fear, fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of being successful, fear of not being successful, fear of whatever. Um, tell us about the fears in your life, and, and the follow-up question is always the same, is did the fear you put in your mind, did it actually come true to the magnitude you put it in your mind to be? Never. Never. I don't think it ever, ever does. Yeah. Um, your perceived fear is always the worst case. I think... And you've been through some of the stuff literally in the world that would be what I would call the biggest fears. And, and I was not afraid while I was doing it. I'm afraid planning. I'm afraid going out the gate, um, say a little prayer, you know, mentally to myself and then look up and be like, all right, I'm done talking to God. Now it's time. Now it's go time. It's time to do my job, you know. And my prayer would be, don't let me let my men down. It was never don't let me die. It was don't let me let my men down. It might be, don't let me leave my family behind alone. Um, let them be happy if, if I don't make it back. But don't let me let these men down. Because my family doesn't need me right now. They need me forever, but right now is right now. Right. And okay, so after that, it's like, okay, all right, done. Game on. You know, head in the game. And I wasn't afraid while doing it. Um, I was never getting shot at and be like, ooh, 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 no, no, no. You know, and curl up in a ball. It was literally attacking it, running right at it and not thinking. Um, People call that heroism. I just call it training. Literally, it's just what I'm supposed to do. Um, there's times fast rope down, um, eight foot wall on one side, eight foot wall on the other in Somalia. Fast rope down an intersection and start running um, from this pile of rocks that was in the intersection down the alleyway, and we start taking fire by an RPK. There's a big machine gun. And bullets are hitting the walls, the ground around us, and this friend of mine's in front of me, and I'm thinking, I'm not afraid, but I'm thinking, when is he going to fall? And when am I next? And where are we going from here? You know, and it's slow motion. It's, it's, it's like, how am I going to get there? And you're really, you're running fast. And all of a sudden, there's this doorway that opens up. And we both pop in there and, and get down and start shooting back. Never afraid. Never thought about it. It's when you're done that it all comes crashing like, down. Holy smokes. Look what we just did. And when you get back to the MSS, the mission support site, or, or you get back home, or wherever you stuffed it, and how far down did you stuff it? When does it make its way back out? It always does. Right. And the guys that don't deal with that are the, are the ones that really need a lot of help. Um, I've never met anybody that wasn't afraid. I've never met anybody that... Uh, I've met people that told me they weren't afraid. Let's clear that up. Liars. Yeah, liars. They're all lying. Um, everybody that says they're not afraid is lying. Or they have some disorder that you don't want them with you anyway. <laughs> exactly. So I don't want to be around anybody that's not afraid because fear keeps you honest, keeps you smart, 
keeps you training, you yeah. know? If I didn't think I'd ever die, I probably wouldn't do anything, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm not, no matter totally. what, you're never Stay gonna in your die. safe zone. All right, well, my goodness. If I'm never gonna die, I'll do anything. There's no fear there. But no, that's not it. That's not the case. You, people die you, from something. You're going to die from something. And if you're running down the street getting shot at, it could be that. If you're driving to work, you, could, you know, that's the greatest thing that kills everybody is driving, traffic, you know. <clears throat> but fear, fear's there. It's what you do with it. That's how you manage that fear. Yeah. So let's talk about the, the roller coaster, entrepreneur roller coaster, right? So I always joke that sometimes there's a day where, Oh my gosh, we're never going to get another client. To, oh my gosh, we're going to have the whole world as a client. To, we're going to fail. We're going to buy the world. Right. Whatever it is, right? There's that roller coaster that we're right. on. And so, how do you, what, what advice would you have for those business folks out there that are on the roller coaster? Because I think if you want to be great, you should be on a roller coaster every day. Right. Uh, it's not fun, <laughs> yeah. right? But what, what advice do you have for those folks? Yeah, life would be boring if it wasn't a roller coaster, if everything right. was the same, you know? Like you said, every, every single day you could wake up try something and win the world or wake up, try something and fail right. or both in the same day. Yeah. If you just expect that, it's always going to be that way. It's always going to be that way and you won't know the outcome until it happens. Just press for the best, expect to fail. When you fail, just readjust, keep going. Yep. You know, failures aren't the end. That's not the finish line. That's just, that's just a checkpoint along the way that tells you, hey, you're, you're slowing down, you're do, taking the wrong path right. or... Or, you know, hey, you, you, you haven't drunk enough water during this marathon or you're getting a little tight muscle. Okay, stop, stretch, drink water, eat a banana. Keep going. It doesn't mean to stop. Failure never means stop. Failure means retry to me. Um, a lot of people try and fail and quit. Well, that's as far as you made it. Right. And that's as far as you'll ever make it. Yeah. Try, fail like everyone else. Now do something different. Retry. Yeah. Readjust, retry, continue on. And that's for everything on the planet that you do. Everything. It's like riding a bike. You fall off the bike. Get back on and start riding. You know, get fall off the horse. Get back on it. Keep riding. If not, you're going to live in regret. You're going to hate yourself the rest of your life for it. You're always going to wish you had... You, you tried to accomplish it, so you wanted to. And if you stop and because you fail, you'll always be miserable about that thing. And that just stacks up. Whatever that thing yeah. is will stack up with the next thing you do and try and fail and, and quit. Yep. Now you got two of those, and then you got more and more and more. I talk about eating a sandwich. You can eat a sandwich with a piece of meat on it. You know, okay, you add another. Now you got 500 pieces of meat that you've stacked up before you took a bite of that sandwich. Now it's harder to eat, but you still have to eat it. Right. So now you got to cram it down your throat versus every, yeah. little, every little problem that you have, eat it one at a time. Eat it one at a time. Don't let them stack up and then try to conquer them all. You'll never get there. Yeah. I read something one time, you probably like this if you haven't heard this quote, but it says, um, discipline weighs ounces, regret weighs tons. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. I, I, would, I don't ever want to live with regret. Um, I will always, always try something. And again, that goes with the greatest fair is a fair to try. It's just, okay. if you don't try, you will have regret, and that will weigh you down yeah. forever. I mean, everyone, I have regrets of things I didn't do. I can't take it back. So I look forward, and I, and I try not to build more of that. But I don't want to be on my deathbed and wish I had traveled somewhere, visited something, or performed differently, or, or told her I liked her when I met her. You know, I mean, maybe I could have easily given up on that. I think the first time I, first time I kissed her was um, in Georgia somewhere. I don't know. And and I just I looked at her and I was scared to death. And and I go, I I, I just have to do something. 
And she's like, what? And to me, that was it. Leaned over and kissed her and I walked away and I thought, <laughs> well, that sucked. That, and I, t I literally texted her, well, yeah. that sucked. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, we'll have to try that again. We both agreed. It was a horrible kiss, it, right. but I did it. And you know what? And it opened the door. And, right. and here we are today. Yeah. That's great. So what would you tell the Tom of 15 years ago? What advice would you give that guy? Stop being so hard on yourself. You know, take life a little bit more lighter. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, take life lighter. I, uh, I focused so much on just, it was so intense, everything I did, that I could have compartmentalized it, like just at work. Right. Um, I let it engulf my entire life. And uh, I would probably... Uh, I would probably say to just lighten up a little bit. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm OCD. I am literally, I've got to clean things. I've got to straighten things up. I, papers have to line up. The kitchen has to be cleaned. And, you know, and when I walk in and I just clean the kitchen, which I like cleaning. It's kind of like my getaway. Yeah. And ask anybody what I'm known for. It's, oh, cleanliness. cleanliness. Tom cleans it's since high school. Um, or else before that. Um, ask my teammates, you know, anything. Well, what was Tom known for? Mr. Clean, yeah, Mr. Clean. Always yeah. team rooms, always clean, and I always had a reason for it. Well, if it's clean, I know where everything's at. Right. It's well maintained. I know where my weapons are. They're clean. I know where my stuff is. We keep everything orderly. Blah blah blah. Okay, boom, kids. <laughs> I'm going to go crazy. <laughs> right, exactly. Right. There's this cup in the sink. What's yeah. going on? Why'd you leave the knife on the counter? You yeah. know, kids are kids. You yeah. know, and it's basically to lighten up. Lighten That's up. good advice. That's uh -huh. good advice. Be in the moment, right? Enjoy right. the journey. Be in the moment. And I'm still working to get there. Um, probably this morning I freaked out about it. I don't know. No, not yet today, maybe, but definitely probably yesterday. Right, exactly. <laughs> I'm still working on it, yeah. though. And I'm, I, ho I catch myself in the process of it a lot of times, but other times it consumes me. Yep. And uh, she's been, my wife's been great with it. Awesome. Telling me to shut up, <laughs> turn, on, it, turn it down, quit being a loser. Yeah. <laughs> Who's the best leader you ever worked under? Who? Oh, wow. Okay, the first thing that comes to my mind is General McChrystal, but mm -hmm. that's, that's going to be a name a lot of people throw out. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it down to... Well, let's talk about, real quick about him. What did you, you learn from him? Why, why did that one come to your mind first? I think he was, he was like me at the time. He, I worked maybe a le two levels under him. I was, in, I was working, I was in charge of a 5,000-man task force while I was a sergeant major with the commander of a 5,000-man task force. And he was overall everything in Iraq, everything special operations in, in Iraq, and then I was just our task force in Iraq. And we worked in the same building, the same bunker in Balad. And his sergeant major was one of my former sergeant majors um, from the unit. His intensity with his intelligence and... Um, Basically, his, his, his vision of, of Iraq was work, eat, sleep, work out, repeat. Work, eat, sleep, work out, repeat. He wanted to get rid of, like, okay, the Burger Kings, the Mr. Green coffee shops, and things like that. And basically, all you're doing is working. All you're doing is eating, and then you sleep, and then you work out, and then you repeat it. And that's it. That's all you need to do over here. Hmm. I didn't necessarily subscribe to that totally, because people need breaks. Right. Um, but I got his point. I understood what he was trying to do. A lot of people sit around. There's a lot of jobs that people are doing, job, jobs that are filled where people are doing nothing. The whole jock is full of 100 people, and they all have a job. 
some of those guys are sitting there with their computers watching TV in the corner. So they're not focused on the mission, they're focused on watching TV on their, on their computer. So you had that removed. You had TVs removed. Um, wow. Basically, when you're over here, you're focused on how I can better this mission, how I can you know, find bad guys or, or stop what's going on versus I'm just gonna go to work for eight hours and I'm off. You know? It's like you get 24 hours in a day. Right. If you're working a half a day, that's 12 hour days. Right. You know? So I worked a lot of uh, 18 hour days. And would eat in the middle, sleep, work out, back repeat. to work, repeat it. Um, but the way he brought people together, the way he would go on a, t on a target, you know, him or Admiral McCraven, kind of, yeah. kind of similar. Um, Admiral McCraven was more of a, since he was a, you know, Navy SEAL guy, he wanted to get out more often right. than, than to be behind and, and do the stuff that leaders have to do. So he would go on more missions with the guys, which. Uh, that's a big win for the enemy if something bad happens, right. you know. Plus, he's on target now. The guys are like worried about the admiral versus the target. Right. And, um, it's kind of a distraction, but just his focus and his just his focus was really kind of what what I liked about him a lot. Um, sitting in VTCs with him around the world and and the things he puts out and the things he notices. Someone not really paying attention on VTC halfway around the world, he'd be like, and call him out. Hey. Right. You don't want to be here? Find me somebody who does want to be here. Oh, no, 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 sir. Well, then act like you're paying attention at least, you know, because you're not. Right. And you're on, you're on camera right now, and I can see you literally texting or not paying attention. Uh, he would call people out on, on things like that to make sure they were doing their job. So what, do you, uh, what would you say you're passionate about now? I know you, you've talked a lot about the, the soldiers and the uh, military folks that you help, you both help now to this day. And, I'm assuming that's one of your passions, so I shouldn't it answer is. for you, but what, what are your passions? That is, that is my passion now. Um, I've been through a lot, and I've put people through a lot that I shouldn't have put them through. And figuring out what caused that and how to fix that and finding help for others now, um, you know, while I continually get help for myself. And, and it's kind of addicting. We've helped, I don't know how many people we've helped so far. We've sent five, maybe to clinics to get them help for free, finding donors, you know, get them $70,000 to give them to Warriors Heart or give them, give them wow. this to get them to reboot or get them here and there. People are drinking, over drinking, killing themselves with drugs. Um, I've had s many of my friends have committed suicide and I want to stop that. Not going to stop at all, but I'm also not going to not try. Right. Um, I'm trying to goad my friends into helping on social media versus, you know, hey, stop just liking my comments. Do something. Sure. Yeah. Jump in, do something. Share my comment, become active. Everybody says they want to help a veteran. Well, we want to help veterans stop the 22 a day. Okay, yeah, push ask, what have you done? Yeah. What have you done? I'm gonna do the cold water bucket challenge or I'm gonna do the push-up challenge. I'm like, okay, have you literally tried to connect or talk to a veteran? Call a buddy. It's hard, it's difficult to call somebody right. who's who's doing drugs or who's drunk all the time. You know, and they get in these arguments in these forums that I've joined. You know, guys, guys are obviously drinking or drunk or high or something, and they're typing, and right. they get into arguments with people who aren't. They're like, listen, you're, you're, just, you're just ruining this for the rest of us. You know, I'm like, that's the guy who needs help. Right. Let's help that guy. You know, turn your thought process around versus he's bothering me into why is he bothering me? What's wrong with him? So I'm passionate about again, thanks to my wife, about how to help people and how to reach those people, because they're all different. Everybody's different on how okay. to reach them. Um, some fail, 
some fall backwards. And it's like, oh, you got to go back at it. Am I bothering them? Got to get past that. You know, I've got friends that have, have done so much better and their lives are great. And then you can see they're slipping back into drinking heavily every night. And, you know, you go to a, a get together and you see they're drinking six to year one. And it's like, man, what are you covering up? I get right. it. We all went through this, you know. Don't give in to the weak stuff. Don't give in to the easy path of drinking and then passing out and anesthetize yourself at night so you can sleep. Yeah. And then guys are like, well, that's just what we do. We, we, we push that culture. Military guys drink and party and talk to each other about killing. And right. Really? Okay, you're just reliving your miserable days, which means you're continually living the miserable days. Yep. Why don't we stop the drinking? Uh, you know, okay, I don't need you to teetotal and stop everything. And, and become a priest, you know? That's, that's right. a bit difficult. Right. How about you slow down on drinking? How about you exercise a little more? You'll start feeling better about yourself. Yeah. You'll probably drink even less then. You eat healthier, you take supplements because everybody needs supplements because our soils are depleted. Right. We don't get what we need in food, even if we're juicing, so you need supplements. And once you start feeling better, your attitude changes, yeah. your whole thought process changes, and then by the way, get off your butt and go help another veteran. That's, that's, that's how I found the most help for myself, is helping other people helped me. Hmm. And the more people that we send down that path say the same thing. So what's your organization for that? Which, which, where would you drive traffic? For somebody listening right now says, you know what, I want to go make a difference in a, in a person's life. Where would you send them? We have our foundation. It's called All Secure Foundation. And, and we are a resource, a library resource for veterans who need help. We'll find them money. We'll also find them where to go. Um, Warrior Heart, Warrior's Heart is another one that was started by another friend of mine in the unit that was formerly in the unit. That's in Texas, and that is for people who, who really have addiction issues, whether it be drugs or alcohol. Mm-hmm. So it's not like if you, you need help, but you, you don't have a drug or alcohol problem, wear heart, they probably won't accept you. Um, there's places like Reboot in Colorado that was founded by a former Task Force 160 pilot. They're all over, but the one that we work with, uh, the guy we work with that I've known from Samoya um, is in Colorado. There's other, other places that will send them to get help, or we have um, some local in St. Louis, some psychiatrists and therapists that have said, I'll donate my time to help the children of veterans with PTSD or wives who lost their husbands. Um, I do speaking engagements to try to help people. Um, writing a book, my wife's doing the same for spouses because those are kind of people we don't really talk yeah, about. When you have a veteran come home and he's got problems, who does he take it out on? Wife and kids, right. they always get the brunt. Your wife and kids always get the brunt of your stress of the day at work. Yep. You know, you don't yell at your boss or your employees. Right. You know, you, you come home and wife's well, like, how was your day? Arr, yeah. You take it out on her and right. the kids, you know? And uh, so those are kind of the, the unseen victims as well. And, and when, it's like the dance floor. You know, you get one person on the dance floor, people start trickling out. Right. I start admitting to my issues and my problems and how I was dealing with things, and then other people start hitting me up. Me too. Yep. Wow, I do the same thing. And if you can admit it, I guess it's okay. Yep. So I'm going to admit it. And once you start admitting it, then you start to get help for it. And yeah. then the transparency is huge. Right. Right. And again, that's that secret we all think we have that we're all doing. Right. You know? And uh, once it's out there, well, I don't have to cover that up anymore. Now I can speak freely about it. And now I can actually find some help. Right. So talk to us. Give us a little, uh, a little asymmetric solutions commercial real quick. <laughs> oh. That's what he's doing now with his time for work. (laughs) 
So I do business development for Asymmetric Solutions, and we've got three locations, one in Farmington, Missouri. It's about a little less, about an hour, yeah. maybe a little more from here. Very cool spot. Very cool spot. Um, our focus there is, is we have a lot of ranges for shooting, rifle, pistol, or long gun. And uh, we have like a 68-mile track, off-road track. We've done some mobility stuff there um, with like MARSOC and special operations. And uh, we have one in Perry, Florida that we've just completed. And that's a mount site down there, like military operations and urban terrain. So there's multiple buildings down there, like a little cityscape. I designed a 5,000 and a 10,000 square foot shooting house, which is kind of a maze to go through. So you can change the floor plan up, wow. do explosive charges, shoot inside as well, and set up targets or do force on force in there while still using explosive charges. Um, along with a long, uh, uh, you know, it's almost like a mile long range at both locations as well for long gunners. And then we just purchased another piece of property down there to do explosive breaching training. So you can do wall breaching, door breaching, roof breaching, everything else. So just take you through different iterations and cycles of things. And then we just acquired some, well, we partnered with the Wyo Ranch west of San Antonio. Just a few acres. <laughs> just a few acres, high <laughs> fence uh, hunting there. So again, that's more mobility, more patrolling, more shooting, um, more mount stuff as well. And that, that place really mimics uh, Africa or Afghanistan with its terrain. So, And I think, too, for the, the, the business folks that are listening, I mean, obviously you hear that. That's, you know, it sounds all cool and, and, and stuff. But I think what we did personally at Visionary Wealth Advisors, we went down for a team building. Right? Absolutely. So we took some of our top advisors and our leaders down there, and it was a phenomenal day of just, one, getting comfortable with the stuff, but, two, that mental mindset of, we were under stress because, right. you know, I don't do the stuff that you do, right? And so that right. stuff stresses me out a little bit and, and getting comfortable with it and going through exercises. And it was a it was a phenomenal day that we all, I know, share our, our pictures and our videos quite a bit. And I have a whole new respect for people that sit in the Humvee and the shooter deal and that little rope. <laughs> we took a little trip. That was not fun. Right. No, it's, uh, <laughs> it looks cool. It looks the cool. pictures look good. Yeah. So you do it for hours and hours and hours. Yeah. Corporate retreats are awesome. It's 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 good for for building you know mental toughness and yep. confidence. Yep. Run through an obstacle course. I mean they call them confidence courses, as well right. as obstacle course, because you're like I can't do that. Right. I, I I just no way I can do that. And then you do it and you're like wow. Yep. You just develop confidence in yourself and then you're more you're more proud. So it shows. But corporate retreats are great. You know we have soft special ops experiences. We call it steel soft experience, but you know I almost throw up in my mouth when I say that sometimes. <laughs> as a joke to our right. SEAL brothers. But um, to run through an event like that, I don't know if that's kind of what you did, to where you get a little taste of special operations yeah. and you get to blow doors or shoot guns and, and run through you know, obstacle courses or, or okay, it takes five of you to get up over that wall, how are you gonna do it? Right. You gotta kind of plan and work as a team together. And team building is, is key in everything. I yeah. think everybody should do it. I know sometimes it, co it costs a lot of money for corporations, but really you don't need you don't need a lot of money to do team building events. Right. No. You know, you can go to a park in town somewhere and do a team building event. You just need somebody to sit down and think it through. Yep. But yeah. you know, we help with leadership. We help with professional development and growth for people just by putting them in situations that uh, they don't feel confident in, and then they yep. realize they can conquer it. Yeah. So maybe their only limiting factor is themselves, which is half the battle. Always. Yeah. You know. Well, Tom, man, it's been awesome having you, and uh, it's been a pleasure that you took your time out to come here on the Circuit of Success podcast and uh, share your story. Awesome. Thanks for being really here, Really happy to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Tune in next week for another episode of the Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. 
Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm. 